0: at mikecrock.com forward slash book that's mike c-r-o-c.com forward slash book go get yourself a copy and subscribe to the what are you made of podcast on itunes spotify or your favorite podcast platform if you like watching these it's available on youtube at my channel mike c-rock Scirocco. now enjoy the show Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of with your boy, the unstoppable Mike C-Rock. You guys can be unstoppable too. All you got to do is go get my book, Rocket Fuel, Convert Setbacks, Become Unstoppable. That's at mikecrock.com forward slash book, mikecrock.com forward slash book. And the forward was written by none other than Grant Cardone, who talks about how the rocket fuel concept or law of converting setbacks to become unstoppable has affected him in his life and his business. So go get that book, guys. Become unstoppable like your boy. And today I brought on a friend of mine that I met on Clubhouse in an awesome room. It was about, I think, entrepreneur dads or something, or it was like a Sunday morning room. And, you know, I've met some of the most uh, just great people on Clubhouse. And I think that there's a, the, a truth to the law of attraction, of course, because you start coming and getting attracted via people that you already know to other great people. So uh, I met Mike Diamond in a Clubhouse room. And I said, after hearing this story, dude, you're coming on my show, man. I don't even think I asked. I just told him, you got to come on the show. So, <laughs> Today, we have Mike Diamond. Mike, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Mikey. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So uh, first of all, I want to thank you for coming on and uh, for the opportunity to develop a relationship with you. I appreciate that, man. And we start this show with a little tradition of asking our guests, what are you made of?
1: That's a good question. Well, I come from a really, really crazy background. I was born in Perth, Western Australia, and I suffered a lot of trauma, a lot of mental and physical abuse. So I am made up of a massive amount of grit and resilience. I have an unbreakable mindset. I, everything I've gone through from getting sober 15 years ago by myself, from you know, going through trauma, smoking crack, doing heroin, and getting sober and 30 days later, opening up a bar in New York City, I did it the hard way. So I'm just one of those guys that stays in process and is super motivated forward thinking wise and just does the work. I just do the work. I don't care how I feel. I just show up and do the work.
0: Now, when you were a party and all that and stuck in addiction, did you, were you functioning?
1: That's the problem I was, highly functioning. Yeah. yeah. And that's the worst thing. So I started drinking and doing drugs at 12, but was a super athlete. And the problem was, is I was, you know, there was such a misconception when I was a kid, we were younger, there was fixed mindset. You were stuck in stupid. There was no growth mindset, flexible mindset. So, you know, it was you're predetermined. You got a D in math, you're stupid. And we know that's just complete crap. So, growing up in a small town, Perth, Western Australia, which is the most isolated capital city in the world geographically, no internet, no positive mentors, you know, Australia is a very socialist country, you know, there's a lid. It's not like America, capitalism. I started using young because of all the abuse. Every addict. It doesn't matter what your addiction is, you're searching. We're all searching for growth and human potential. Unfortunately, we get it in disempowering ways because we don't have the right information and mentors when we're younger, when we may make the mistakes. But that's also a great thing because with that experience comes massive wisdom. And then we can pay it forward by how we coach people and teach them.
0: If we survive it, right? If we survive True. It. Look, and I've, some I've people been- don't. Yeah, I've been there. I mean, I I lost my way. My intentions went to the wrong direction. When I got to college, I never drank a beer until I was 18 years old. And I went to college and I was so proud of that, man. I was so proud that I didn't party. And I was a football player and I was on the right track. And I said no when people offered over and over and over again. And I got to college and I saw women. And because I came from a small town, there was ladies there, but I didn't see the type of uh, girls, I guess. And the party, it was just like, where's the party? Where's the girls? You know, you know how. They, so my attention immediately went to that. And I, I lost my way for about five years. And luckily, I didn't, I didn't have to go to rehab, but I was in the scene, man. And it was the thing like every night, every weekend, and telling myself, I'm done. I'm not going to do that again. And then the next night, coming to in a trance in front of a urinal, coming to and saying, I'm messed up again. Like, this is crazy. I'm not this type of person. So I went through that myself. And, uh, Thankfully, I got out of it when I met my wife, you know, and my tension got straight again, but I can relate to that. What kind of abuse are you talking about? Like back in, like how old were you when you, when you were being abused?
1: It was all mental and physical. My dad just beat the crap out of me. He didn't understand it. My older brother got sick when he was young, when I was seven. And my sister was 13 weeks premature. Europeans, hardworking, they don't get it. They can't process this information. They work 12 hours a day. You act up, they beat the crap out of you. Yeah. So, and it was a lot of screaming and yelling. And I was never like, I had so much ability and potential, but my, you know, your authentic self gets lost in the shuffle of the family, dysfunctional family system. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? What do you do? You have this calling from the universe, but you've got to block the calling. So, you've got to just suppress it somehow with painkillers, drinking, sex, whatever you're going to escape. But you're only escaping yourself. Right. You're only escaping your potential. Right. Do you know what I mean? And right. that's why, Now it's really sad in the pandemic because unlike guys like you and I who are engines, we drive people. A lot of people get stuck because they've got to sit with these feelings they haven't processed. Yep. You know what I mean? If you've built Mm -hmm. this facade and external security and all this money but you've done no work on the inside and then everything shuts down and you're alone and you can't go out, well, you're stuck with your thoughts and your feelings. Yep. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. so people get offended. They're like, oh, I'm on, I've am on. i been told to shut down and go inside myself. I'm like, yeah, that's a good thing. That's where you incubate. That's where you get inspiration. That's where you create from, from me, from you, from inside. And, you know, so when I was a kid, I didn't know that stuff. I just acted out. I just went for what felt good. I didn't know the disempowering to the empowering. And, you know, when you're young, you can push through it, like you said, with the sex, you know. You get a little attention when you're younger, man. Yeah, that's the best. You're like, yeah, I've arrived yeah. and we know you never arrive. It's not like that. And then, so how did you come to the United States? It's a crazy story. I was at acting school and I left acting school and I got a job selling clothes in a clothes boutique. I'd never really sold clothes, like kind of this bullshit. Is, them. in Australia? Yeah, yeah. In, yeah. in Sydney. Yeah. And um, I said to the guy, look, I want to sell clothes. I'll work for nothing. And he's like, to do what? I said to move to America. Because I always wanted to move to America if I was a little kid. So he just kind of threw He's yeah, you, you, you went to acting school? Okay. Next person that walks in, sell them some clothes. I'm like, all right. So it was a men's boutique. And I bullshitted this lady in her some clothes. But the way I did it is I didn't know. I knew I could sell myself. So I, she asked for some clothes. And I looked in the shop window. And I was like, are you looking for your husband, your son? And she said, my son. I said, is he my size? She said, yeah. So what I did is I took the outfit out of the window and I went into the dress room and changed it on and I wore the outfit. She goes, I'll take it. And I looked at the store manager and said, you owe me a fucking job. <laughs> so <laughs> I was hustling, selling clothes. And that was my kind of thing. And this lady randomly came in one day and I sold her some clothes and I said to her, hey, she's like, what are you doing here? I said, I'm moving to America. She said, you know what? You should enter the green card lottery. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, there's a lottery. You can win a green card. I'm like, yeah, whatever. The next day, that lady brought me a green card lottery ticket. I went to the American embassy and I said, look, I know this sounds crazy. Is this real? They're like, yeah. And they looked at me They're like, you're never going to win. Because back then, you know, anyone could enter, not now because you have immigration issues. So it was, it was one in a, a hundred million chance. I sent the ticket in and six months later, I won a green card. Wow. And moved to America with nothing. Didn't know there was before the internet. I just landed in America. Been to acting school. I said, I've just got to find my way. And I landed in Miami first. It was back in 1997. And yeah, just like hustled my way through acting school and took jobs and just all law of attraction. If it felt right, I went with it and just, and just had the philosophy of just work, 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 work. I never took days off. I just worked.
0: So, so wait a minute. When you first get there, you don't have a place to stay yet, right?
1: No, I stayed in so, a hostel.
0: So, okay. So you stayed at a hostel and then you went look yeah. for jobs.
1: I got a job in a uh, jewelry store. Crazy story. I just went to a jewelry store. He said, I need a job. They said, no problem. The next day I'm selling jewelry and this cool kid comes in. And he said, hey, man, what are you doing here? You look pretty cool, like tattoos and stuff. And I was like, oh, I just work and I'm a musician, an actor. He said, you should work in a nightclub down the street. I'm like, yeah, I hate nightclubs. He said, they'll pay you 250 bucks a night. Back then, my apartment was like 300 bucks. I'm like, 250 a night to work in a club? I'm there. I'm your guy. <laughs> so I took the night job. And the craziest thing is this famous, these famous guys from New York were moving down to Miami. And they met me. And they said, we're going to open up a club down the street. It's called chaos. It's famous in New York. You come work with us Eh, there whatever. So I showed up and ironically, the guy that was running the front door of the club got a DUI and the opening night of the club, I just had a regular job, like opening a VIP row. They said, do you want to run the front of the club? I said, yeah. And they gave me the job on the spot.
0: Holy shit, man. Oh
1: yeah. It was crazy. And so I went from nobody knowing me to the guy that you had to get in and get by. But what I did back then was really good. So I always wanted to do acting music and move to New York. So I was doing auditions. Any once I met you, I would, I would give you my card, get your card, and I had books and write down everyone's number and what you did. So if you're in real estate or you did this, I would write it down. Every week, I would just call you, check in. Just check in. I just created my own little database. Ironically, this big producer came in named David Frankel, who did the show uh, The Devil Wears Prada, Sex in the City, and they were looking for a musician. And he said, Look, I think you should audition for the part. And I got the part. It was on CBS. And with that, I moved to New York. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then I became the guy in New York that was running all the hot clubs. And I a- adapted the same strategy of always networking. Because it was before social media. Like right. I would just call people, did parties, and then just I just kept I kept both worlds. Like I kept the music, acting world, but I also kept the club world because I could, I could balance in both and just pull from each one.
0: Gotcha. And then you started meeting some famous people, celebrities, yep. things like that, and then developed yep. relationships. And then you even developed a relationship with Scott Weiland, right? From yep, the, yeah. From Pilots at some point. And then tell me about that story.
1: So that was crazy. So there was a, there's a band called Fuel and Brett Scallion and I were really good friends We were very close and Brett said, look, I'm friends with Duff and Scott and they just formed Velvet Revolver. And I was like, you know what? We should open a bar in the city. So I found a spot and then we called it Snitch where we'd snitch out a password and he was friends with Scott and Duff and we all met and they became partners with us. And me and Scott became really close. We became really close friends. But the crazy thing, Mike, is at the time I introduced Army James to this guy Charlie, because we were shooting a show and they created Miami Ink. Yeah. I so remember it was, Miami. yeah. So I got tattooed on Miami Ink, which then got me to be the store, run the store in New York Inc. And then I took it to Australia to do Bondi Ink. Yep. So it's a really incestual little clique of we all right. like interrelated, but, right, but right. it was cool. It was a really great time. You know, we were all creating together and paying it forward and helping each other. It was really good stuff. It was and my, New York's not like that anymore. It's sad. After social media, it got ruined. You know, yeah. New York was a real special place.
0: Yeah. And then and now, especially after COVID too, everybody leaving and stuff is totally different too, man.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not good.
0: I wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket Fuel, is available for sale now at mikecroc.com forward slash book. That's com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. So I guess my next question would be regarding like partying and things. Like, do you think that you would have been able to, if you were sober and clean back then, what would have been different as far as developing some of the relationships and things?
1: It's a great question. So this is the difference. When I got sober, it wasn't, it was a spiritual thing. Scott was fighting with his wife and... I could I just looked at my life at a in a different perspective going, "Hold on, I came from nothing. I'm here. I'm doing way too much blowing and drinking too much. And I was attracting the wrong business partners. Not them, just other people. Too many bleeders." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. The difference would have been this. I had a, you know, 15-20 million dollar franchise that would have come out of that that I walked away from when I got sober because I had the wrong partners. I went in bed with the wrong people from the start. And they just, they were just infectious and they, it was very toxic. If I would have done it sober, I would have built a different structure and different people. And it would have been more about you and the client than about me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. I served people and I put on great performances and put on a great thing for people, but I still made it about myself because yeah. there was part of me that still needed to be. Justified self esteem issues instead of going, okay, if I'm going to create this brand, I'm going to create it for people. I'm going to build this franchise for people to eat at, drink at, feel good, and get an experience to help them, not me. Right. Serve you, not me. And that would have been the difference if I wasn't using. You know what
0: I mean? Yeah. And some of the relationships that you did have that end up being good relationships, not the bleeder or the drainer people, but the good ones. Would you have been able to get into those relationships and develop those if you had been clean and sober, though? Absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah, 10 yeah. times better because it would yeah. have handled it with a different percent. And the crazy thing is those people are still my best friends. Yeah. I The people I used with, I got sober. Now I get some of those people sober. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? So yeah. to me, the lesson is whenever I do something now, like when we click straight away on Clubhouse, I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 I kind of know now my frequency. Right. And I know I can give you something. Because you will, there's a standard and it's your old school. Like I am, we didn't come up on IG. We come up on the OG. Yep. There's rapport. There's respect. Yep. Do you yep. know what I mean? Yep. So I already know when you called me and I looked at your stuff, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, this is the same thing. I can, like you said, your boss coming out. I'm like, oh, let me hook you up with all my guys because they know they're going to meet you. They're like, oh, there's one of us.
0: Right. Right.
1: It's right. like, a, it's a tribe. It's yep. a, you don't have to talk about it. And I try to explain to the younger generation is we didn't, there's a famous saying, the map isn't the territory. And, you know, you can look at a map of New York, but you have to go to New York to understand the territory. We have walked the terrain. That's life experience. You can't learn that on YouTube. You can't learn that on IG. You learn it by going through the process. And because guys like us have done that work, do you know what I mean? Yep, when we yep. connect, it's a really strong connection. There's real rapport. That, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's real rapport. You synchronize because it's, it's an unspoken language. You're like, this guy gets it. I can yep. put this guy in that position. He's done the work. He's run the marathons like I have. This is no, do you know what I mean? So I yeah, think yeah. I would have been more about you than me. And that now is my, my job. My job is to inspire, educate, motivate. How can I help you? Forget me. Money is the effect if my cause is right.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And I, I was just telling, uh, I was just telling uh, Adam on the call before, before we were on here that I was like, dude, listen, I'm the type of guy, I, I want to contribute and help people as well, because I've been there before, right? But I'm the type of guy, like if you guys needed something like that and say, hey, C-Rock, I need you to come talk to this person or talk to this group, I would tell my wife, hey, hun, I got to get on a plane tomorrow and I got to be somewhere because I, because I want to you know, help these people. And she understands that about me. I'm spontaneous as hell. When I want to do something and it's for a cause and it's on an alignment, in alignment with my mission, it's just like that. And so I was telling Adam that he's like, dude, I I vibe with that, man. I get it. You know, and that's, it's a good feeling to be like that. Like nothing, nothing that is, if it's in alignment with me, I'll separate everything else that's not to get to what that mission is. And that is, like you said, to help other people. It's all about helping and lifting and encouraging other people, man. And I, yeah. I love that. So let's talk about the restaurant scene and everything in Miami. I haven't been to LA before, so I'm going to be doing that once this all clears up. But the food is fantastic, right? But it's, a, it's an experience. Now, yeah. I don't know if it's always been like that because I've only been going to Miami really a few years now. But back in 97, when you were there, I don't know if it was like that. But if you go there, like, there's music playing that's not like just background music. You can feel it. You can feel energy. It's an experience. When you leave that restaurant, not only do you eat good, but you like, wow, dude, that was, you know, so why don't more people do that in other areas?
1: You know, I think, you know, it's funny you said the experience. Miami and New York back in the day were the places. It wasn't about the aesthetics. Like you spend a billion dollars in a place. No, you created a vibe. You created a vibe that hit every part of the sensory that that from when you walked in as Mikey Sea rock Mike Diamond would touch you as a guest, that it didn't matter what was going on, you had to come back to me.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and from the way you walked in, to the way you were treated, to the way you sat, to the way the music went in different... When you design a restaurant correctly... From the food, from the service, from the music, it should take you on a journey. You know what I'm saying? If you go earlier in the evening, it's going to you know, build up slowly as the meals build up. So when you leave, you should be on a crescendo. And if you're smart, what we used to do is the restaurant lounge vibe, whereas we knew that at 12, if we vibed you right, we'd flip it into a nightclub. Mm-hmm. And that's what our place in Pangaea was. And that's what a place called the living room was, which was famous. It was the top place in the world yep. because you start with dinner and you didn't want to leave. And then we'd flip the tables into bottle service. And then we had you at eight o'clock till four in the morning.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's an incredible experience.
0: Yep. Yep. Do you
1: know what I mean? And yeah. that's really, it's very European. That's what they do back in the day in the Greek islands. And that's what they used to do in Paris and that niche, niche in Barcelona. It's an experience
0: yeah, man. and
1: it's not toxic. It. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, and yeah. it brings you in. And if you really understand it, it's actually quite pure. It's not about debauchery. It's about going out and being around community and sharing food and sharing ideas and just having fun. Yep. And that all left when the Instagram and the photos came out because people made it about, let me take pictures of myself. And they forgot to interact and talk to people. Cause I was, when we used to create a party, you just look around and you go, this is probably the coolest thing ever. Cause you saw everyone and it was here. Yep, yep. You know, you, you, you shared the experience. Yep. You didn't have to take photos, right? You were there. Yep. So, you know, good restaurant, g- good restaurants and good lounges, they create this special vibe. And when you walk in, you just, it's just right. You're like, I want to be here and I don't want to leave.
0: Yeah. And I just don't understand why people don't pick up on that and other places.
1: It's just because it becomes, because because it becomes about corporate and money. Do you know what I mean? Not about vibe. Yeah. See, I think when I created places, I always thought about the consumer. And my thing was, if I can bring an experience to this day, people talk about it. My, my goal was to bring massive rock bands like velvet revolver, corn, Papa Roach to a small stage and intimate setting. And I was doing acoustic shows back then that no one had heard of. And you had to, be there. Someone had to invite you. We didn't sell tickets. We didn't make money at the door. I didn't want that. I wanted you to walk in and look around and go, I can't believe this. How am I seeing Velvet Revolver on the small stage in the world? Yep. And that's what we created. And so then it became because I didn't promote it and there was no social media people were playing for free because they're like this is play this is because they love doing it they're musicians
0: right, right. artists yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. it was
1: just spe- it doesn't exist now because it became corporate
0: damn man w- w- what do we got to do to make it change go back
1: I think you can because of now the pandemic you get you got to get spaces that are cheap like you know what I mean you yeah. got to get you either own a building and you create a vibe with the right, food. I mean, look, with the amount of entrepreneurs we know, we could probably like Nelson, me, you, Grant, Adam, like we could create something that's so special in a great place that people know because we're all pull our resources that yeah. it becomes like a private club. And then you invite the right people kind of like they do at Soho house. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And you can keep it all the riffraff out of it and just make it a cool, cool vibe. And make people feel like it's a community again. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: love that, man. I, let's get it going, man. Let's
1: yeah. start it. <laughs> it'd, be a, it'd be good. Uh, now, can you be around
0: those, like for, for now your sobriety, are you okay going to places? And oh like, yeah. Like that. I no know problem. Is. Okay.
1: No huh. problem. I'm not one of those guys that has a problem with everyone else doing it. And that's why my sobriety's strong. Like yeah. it was my choice and I do my wife drinks. She doesn't drink hard. I actually don't care if people drink around me. I like people to have fun. I'm one of those guys that got sober and opened a bar because it was my thing. I was like, I can't do it anymore. And I'm honest with myself, man. I like, I, don't drink like a normal, I don't do anything like a normal person. I ran right. 30 half marathons in 30 days <laughs> after stomach surgery. <laughs> like an idiot. <laughs> I love it. Love do you it. know, that's an addict. Yeah. But, uh, but, I, but I embrace the fact that I'm an addict and I can't drink and do drugs, but I take that energy into now doing interventions or yeah. reading or writing or speak. Yep. You see what I'm saying? I so talk like about just that all the
0: time, man. Like yeah. if, you, if you're an addict, dude, addict on something that can make an impact, you know, exactly, and, and you'll be the best at it. You know, that's, that's what I look at with. I've seen it over and over again. I'm, you know, even myself, I have addictive uh, behavior, but it's now it's on the right thing. And now it's like, you know, I've related addiction to being stubborn, because if you look at something and an addict is, if you look at the definition of stubborn, I talk about this all the time in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, it says perversely unyielding, right? But it's not a good thing when it's on the wrong thing. It's only a good thing when it's on the right thing, right?
1: So true. Well, like I always say, right? The human brain has four chemicals, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphin, right? So how are you going to get a dose? Empowering or disempowering? Yep. Cocaine will give you a hell of a dose, so so we'll like, you know, porn and different sex, but we know that's disempowering, right? Mm -hmm. But then, okay, so if I substitute the Coke for exercise and good food, can still drink a little coffee, do meditation, oh, my God, I'm getting an empowering dose and I'm not getting burnt out, right? So I always look at what's the driver because we're all looking to avoid pain and gain pleasure, right? Mm -hmm. So what's the driver? How do I associate pain and pleasure? You and I know how to delay gratification, okay? So we know short-term pleasure is long-term pain when kids now want the short-term pleasure, but they don't realize that's long-term pain. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know? So it's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, So we know that. And the other thing
0: is it's more of look for infusions rather than injections. An injection is something that lasts like a short period of time. Infusion is, all right, give me the line to it. And it's hooked up for good. And it's just infusing you for life. And that's, that's I like that. You don't get that from drugs and alcohol, yeah. man. You no, know? no,
1: that, that, that's beautiful. Injection and infusion. You're right. If you go mm-hmm. get a blood transfusion. It's different to the shot. Yeah. it's yeah. brilliant. And I and love Everything that. that
0: you do in your life. If it's an infusion, dude, it's exercise, eating right, lifting others up, encouragement, building your mind, all these
1: things. That's how you become unstoppable.
0: So yeah. last question now, by the way, before okay. I do that, how can my audience get in touch with you and engage with you further? What's the best place?
1: Uh, On any social media, it's V-T-H-E, Mike underscore Diamonds. And I'm always active on social media. If someone's struggling and they need help, they can always DM me. I'm always there. I check my stuff. I'm not like that. You know, some people go, oh, I don't check my stuff. No, people need help, especially interventions or mental health. I'm always there.
0: Yeah, guys. So if you know anybody that's struggling or needing something like that, that's what Mike does. Do you have a book or anything you want to promote? I
1: do. Uh, my first book is called Seven Steps to an Unbreakable Mindset. They can get that on Amazon. I also have a product called Mind Focus Fuel. Yeah. They can go getting. to they can go to diamondlifefuel.com. It's a natural pre-workout. I'll send you some Nootropic. It's for mental focus. It's for working out. It's for fat burning. I developed after my stomach surgery because I have ulcerative colitis and people were giving me crappy products. So I thought, you know what? I'll come up with a product to help addicts and people that won't hurt their stomachs and and good for their mental health. Because there's nothing wrong with the pre-workouts, but there's a lot of stimulants and crap out there that'll mess you up, you know?
0: Yeah. All right, guys. Well, look, let's go support Mike Diamond like we do all of our guests. Reach out to him on Instagram. Go get his book and the pre-workout as well. If you have any questions on that, just DM them on Instagram. And before we go, Mike, final question, what does the rocket fuel concept that I've created or law, it's not really created, I just framed it that way, becoming unstoppable by converting setbacks into rocket fuel for your future? What does that mean to you in your life?
1: See, that is so amazing. I call negativity protein and it helps build me up and build my muscle to build resistance and build stronger. So yeah. your concept is all about post-traumatic growth, not post-traumatic stress. Through the appropriate stress, we grow, right? Yep. yep, So your rocket fuel, you have to, if you want to build good biceps, you better stress them and work them out.
0: Love it, man. Hey, love it. So thank you so (laughs) much for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. I look forward to building this relationship. And if there's anything I can ever do for you, just reach out, man. I'm easy to get a hold of and I'll drop things. I'll hop on a plane tomorrow. So that's the way I roll. So guys, you've been listening to What Are You Made Of? With your boy, the unstoppable Mike C-Rock and the unstoppable Mike Diamond as well. Go subscribe to your favorite podcast platform, to this show. Tell your friends, family, coworkers. And if you like to watch it, check out YouTube, Mike Searock Scirocco. Uh, until next time, guys, be unstoppable. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikesirock.com, themikesirockwithnok.com. And let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential.